0: Good evening, uh, Well of Life Evening Congregation. Um, some of you might not know me. I am from the morning congregation. But I think you guys have something pretty special here. Um, an amazing word from Shereen and Shelley. Um, some really powerful, strong prayer for Kero there. Uh, God's own country. I come from New Zealand, so I used to think that was God's own country. But... Um, my sincere prayers definitely for those in uh, Keller, the friends and family at the moment. Um, this is pretty cool. It's so much more relaxed than the evening. Morning is pumping, it is busy. <laughs> anyway, um, we're going to get on with our preach today, and we're looking at David and Goliath. But it's not really going to be about David and Goliath per se, but Saul and David. And before I drive into that, the one thing that I want you to take away from today is a relationship with God. Seeking God and seeking to have a relationship with Him. So that would be the one thing that I'd love you to take away. So, before I then begin preaching and teaching, I'm going to share with you a blockbuster video that I've put together or that I've found. Um, huge budget film so let's roll that Um, one day there was a little boy
1: named David, he was a shepherd He was the youngest. Um, His dad said he he can't go, so David's seven seven brothers went. Goliath challenged the Israelites for 40 days, but no one would fight him and accept the challenge. And a few days later, um, David was told to bring food to his brothers. So Goliath, he's got like a pointy hat. send me your best soldier and I will to fight him and if he wins then we'll be your slave and if we win you'll be our slaves they all were too scared because he was way bigger than them and David was Said, I've I've um, fought lions and bears to protect my sheep and God has protected me through those times so I know that God will protect me through this. Well David said he would. God came to David and said I will be right beside you. I will make sure that you'll be protected and you won't die. He has a swim plan so you know how you got the wops? you got it from the w- and then he put one stone in, he slept and then he, um, um, it around and around and then uh, he threw it at the line and got him right like, between the
0: Philippines here? So I think the Philippines is the new Philistines. (laughs) Apologies to our Philippines friends. Um, Otherwise, I think those kids pretty much nailed it in terms of uh, what we can remember of the story. But what if I told you that we may have missed something, what this real life story is really trying to tell us? But in our desire to sort of package it and make it a neatly, concisely Disney fairy tale-esque story, we may have ended up missing a crucial part out of this. You see, David and Goliath may not be a story about just David versus Goliath, but ultimately a story about relationships. That is David's relationship with God, Saul's relationship with God, and God and David's relationship to Saul. So choosing it to see it through the lens of relationship rather than a battle, we start to unpack lessons that resonate to the very core of who we are and what God desires for us.
1: The idea of a relationship
0: is what is at the heart of the scripture, our relationship to a God, our relationship to each other, our relationship even to ourselves. As we start to explore sin's curse over this relationship, And God's desire to restore right relationship. We start asking questions at the very essence of what it is to be human and alive. So this evening, let us explore the story by looking at those three different relationships. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 17. Or your tablets or your phones, wherever you store your Bible. Now, this is going to give us a little bit of context. So the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Ezekiah in Damim. Now, obviously, my pronunciation of uh, Hebrew here is perfect. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered. and drew up in a line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a big valley between them. Okay, so a bit of a geography lesson. In the time of Saul and David, around 1000 BC, the Israelites, for the most part, had settled on the mountain range in the east. So I was, I was going to try and do east and west, and then I thought, you know what? For me, east and west is gonna be different to what your east and west is. So let's say they're over here, is that east? Yeah. So they're in the east and you have uh, some other major cities over there like Jerusalem, Bethlehem, Bethlehem, Hebron, etc. Now down from there, in between the sea and the mountains is a coastal plain. And this was the land the Philistines possessed made up of five city-states around where Gaza is today. Connecting these two areas is a land called Shefila. This is a series of valleys and ridges that stretches about 10 to 15 kilometers. To reach Jerusalem from the coastal plain, you had to go through the Shefila. It is a stunning area that is full of forests and fields. Um, It is beautiful. More importantly though, for outside invading armies, It is the only path to attack Jerusalem and to threaten the land of the Israelites. See, they thought that they could advance up and get into Bethlehem and split the kingdom of Israel to make it easier for them to then conquer Israel. And Saul found out about that plan, so he brought his army down and confronts the Philistines in one of those valleys. And it happened to be the Valley of Elah. So there you have the scene set. Each opposing army, standing on one side of the sea valley, you've got Israel on this side, and you've got the Philistines on this side, and then this huge, big valley, the Valley of Elah. But neither of the armies wanted to attack first, because strategically, if you run down into the valley, and you come down, the other army is going to easily pick you off. They're going to expose you, and they're easily going to overcome you. So... Like a deck of cards, both were trying to hold their hands, staying up on the mountain. Neither army wanted to go and lose that tactical advantage. So the Philistines decided to do what was common in ancient warfare. And instead of everyone fighting and leading to mass destruction, a lot of blood and chaos and bloodshed and chaos, they decided that they would send out one of their fighters from their army which happened to be Goliath. And the victory was given to whoever would prevail from a one-on-one battle. So if Israel put forth their champion, Philistines put forth, Philistines put forth their champion, and the battle of that, the person who would win that would then be the champion overall, and the other army would have to submit their forces. And so in 1 Samuel 17, we see that. And there... Came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose for yourselves a man, for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him, and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, "I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together." When Saul heard, or when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed, dismayed, and greatly afraid. So you see, Goliath he sets out the challenge, and at just over nine foot tall. He is a big beast. To give you an idea of that, that would be like me standing from the ground right now. That's about nine feet. So Ryan, I mean, you're a tall guy too, aren't you? So stand up and uh, just show that comparison. So Goliath up here and a man, Ryan, they said David was a a young man, so he was not a teenager anymore. He was almost into manhood. But uh, that is significant. In worldly terms, we'd say that's fairly incredible. What would typically happen in these situations is that the army being challenged would try and send the warrior that most closely matched the challenger that they brought. In this case, a challenger against Goliath. And Saul, the king, knew that that was supposed to be him. So that brings us to our first relationship. Saul's relationship with God. A few chapters prior, we read these damning words spoken by Samuel to Saul, the prophet Samuel. In 22, and Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen to than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord he has also rejected you from being king so the events leading up to that point were as follows first in chapter 13 we read that Saul had set out on a military campaign attacking the Philistines Samuel said he was going to arrive in seven days to perform the necessary rites on behalf of God when a week passed with no word of Samuel and the Israelites were growing restless, Saul took the matter into his own hands and he prepared for battle by offering his own sacrifices. Now Samuel arrives just as Saul was finishing those and he reprimanded Saul for not obeying those instructions. Saul was trying to take shortcuts. How often do we think that we can fix our own situations? How often do we take shortcuts that we think will work out best in our own lives? Now later on, Samuel instructs Saul to make war on the Amalekites and to utterly destroy them. In the fulfillment of a mandate that was set out in Deuteronomy 25.19. Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies around you, In the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. So Saul, he goes to war and defeats the Amalekites. Saul kills all the men, the women, the children, and less desirable livestock. Although in his own wisdom, he thinks he knows what's best, and he leaves the king alive. And along with the best sheep, he keeps the best sheep for himself. The problem with Saul and his relationship with God is that he wanted it on his own terms. He picked and chose what commands he would follow and what he would ignore. When something doesn't suit him, he just fails to do it. But you see, back to Goliath, Saul had particular reason to be afraid. Goliath was a giant among the Philistines, and Saul was head and shoulder taller than the other Israelites. Saul was a logical choice to square off against Goliath. And we can expect he knew that others from within his army thought that he would too, because he had done it before. He was a a victorious commander from before. He had won other battles himself. However, instead of doing what was meant to be done, he shifted away and he looked for another option. Many of us can fall into this trap. And while under the new covenant, we know that God won't reject us. And we can be assured of salvation and identity in him. We still exhibit the same patterns of behavior in our own life situations. We pick and choose how and when we want to obey God how we will speak and impact our lives. We can see here the problem with Saul was that it seems he never honestly knew God. His character and his heart and so God never indeed was able to have a full relationship with Saul as his king. Matthew 7 21-23 Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, Will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, your work your workers or you workers of lawlessness. See, knowing about God is entirely different than knowing God, than a place from knowing who God is. It is a personal relationship with Jesus that saves us. And like Saul, don't be like Saul. And unfortunately, many people will hear this too. I never knew you. Depart from me. So in our next relationship, we're looking at Saul versus David this man Saul won't step up to battle, then how could he be king and leader of my people of Israel? It is at that point that David enters into this whole text. God was rejecting Saul as king, and he tells Samuel to anoint David as the king. The problem was that even though we knew God had chosen David as king, and Saul was still on the throne, David knew he was the rightful heir to the throne, but he quietly slipped back into being a shepherd boy. And to make matters worse, Saul enlists him to come and play the lair for him. The lyre sorry, liar, lyre, pop. <laughs> he comes and he, he enlists him to play the lyre for him to help remove a spirit a spirit that was tormenting him. And I think that is the only way David could navigate the situation with such grace and humility. But David life carries on as normal and he knew that God would use him when the time was right. He is not forcing God's hand. So we get these glimpses of Saul's relationship with David in 1 Samuel 17 24 All the men of Israel when they saw the man fled from him and were very much afraid and the men of Israel said have you seen this man who has come up, surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches, and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to his men who stood by him, What shall be done for this man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him, in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. So the situation has become so desperate that God offers, oh sorry, Saul needs to offer a three part bribe that included exemption from tax. Now that would be fantastic, wouldn't it? Maybe not so much here, but maybe in uh, some of our countries. Exclusion from tax. A cash award. So cash given to you. And a hot princess, or a very good-looking uh, princess.
1: So you got a three-part bribe going on
0: here. Saul is pretty desperate, and he attempts to try and resolve the situation. <laughs> he hoped that by throwing money and his daughter and this at the problem, that it would go away. Well, David heard about Goliath's challenge to the Israelites' army and decided that, you know what? He's going to be the one that faces up to him. 1 Samuel 13, uh, 17, 31 to 40. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them into the shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. David needs to take on the enemy of God in his way and not in the way that was expected of him by Saul and his advisors. The Lord had already prepared David in the past. David was able to draw upon this in confidence, knowing that the Lord would prevail. Saul and Goliath have one thing in common. They both expected the battle to be fought the same way. Saul expecting David to stand in for him, to fight the battle in the same way that he would fight. so gives him his armor and tries to send him out to fight. let me share something about ancient warfare as well with you. So there's three main components that they had back in the day. The cavalry, which was men on horseback or chariots heavy infantry which are foot soldiers armed with swords and spears and then the artillery like bow and arrows and slings. I know that I was in the fight, I would prefer to be the artillery, it's not as glamorous, you know, it's much cooler to put on the shield and the spear and and, uh, the helmet and and be the the warrior, but I think I would rather step in as the artillery, firing from a distance
1: but anyway, we read from the text that
0: Goliath was a part of the heavy infantry this is why the Bible describes the colossal size of his armor and spear So, for example, his armor has been reported to be 150 to 200 pounds. It's almost your size. So that would be, this here is like a 10 kg vest, okay? So this is one-eighth the size of the armor that he was wearing. Can you come and uh, hold that for me, Ryan? Yeah, thanks, man. Just, Just get a sense of that. Yeah, yeah, take it. You can wear it. So that is one-eighth the size of the armor that that Goliath was wearing. In worldly terms, it's incredible, isn't it? It seems clear that Saul is also the same. So he tries to make David fight Goliath in the same way he would have, hand-to-hand combat. That is why everyone was expecting Saul to go out and compete, as it made the most sense from a worldly perspective. David knew this wasn't the way in which he could fight this battle. While David had no formal military training, he did possess the artillery-type skills. The artillery was made up of archers and swingers. Hear this, this group was so devastating in battle, they could rain destruction from as far as 200 meters. So if you think of a 25-meter swimming pool, I guess from that wall to this wall is about 25 meters. So if you multiply that by eight, I believe, you have 200 meters. That is a long distance that they can rain destruction from. So David knew if he was to win that battle, he's going to have to fight in his own terms. And so rejected Saul's armor and his sword. And instead he picked up five small stones from a nearby brook. This is why I think David and Saul's relationship was so contentious. Saul knew that God had rejected him. He looked for a better candidate. He saw in David someone who, was, who, wasn't, who wasn't fitting the mold, who wasn't sticking to the standard man's protocol. And this scared Saul. What we can see played out so clearly with Saul and David is the difference God makes when he is in someone's life. This is important for us, and for you and I. For Saul, it was his honor that the Philistines had called into question, and he wasn't prepared to fight for it. Saul stood in his own strength. For David, it was God's honor and name that had been challenged. And so he would rise to the occasion, and he would defend it no matter what. David stood in God's strength. Saul's relationship with David didn't get any better. And so over the next 15 years, Saul chased David many times, trying to kill him. But Saul couldn't handle the fact that through his own actions, his disobedience, God had taken Israel away from him and had handed it to David. To say that this relationship was dysfunctional between David and Saul is a massive understatement. What we do learn, though, And what we must take away is how David responds to Saul. Instead of allowing Saul to dictate the action, what to do and what to feel, he simply holds on to the truth
1: of who he is
0: with God. That's why knowing your identity in Christ is so important, as no matter what happens, we can remain unshaken. That brings us on to relationship three, David and God. Finally, David's relationship with God. I think we get an insight into this a few verses back, just before he's about to head into the battlefield, we read in one Samuel seventeen twenty. David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper, and he took the provisions and went, as Jesse had commanded him. So this little observation here shows the shepherd's heart of David. If he left the sheep to run an errand for his father, he made sure that the sheep, even in his absence, they were still cared for. This, my friends, is why David is known as a man after God's own heart. Because throughout his life, regardless of if he was a shepherd or a king, he never lost sight of the most important role, which was to take care of the sheep that he had been entrusted to. Even when a sin clouded him, and it certainly did. He always came to the place of repentance and making sure his sheep people were taken care of. Microphone, okay? You know, for me, this is what then explains everything else that David does. His heart was already in the right place with God. He could form a relationship with him. God could form a relationship with David and could use him. Other soldiers focus on the danger of the battle or the material rewards that could be won, like the hot wife. It seems that David alone focused on the reputation of Israel and the honor of the living God. That indeed shows David to be a man after God's own heart. He cares about the things that God cared about. He saw the problem in the spiritual terms and not in the fleshy terms consider it again when david when the men of israel said this man david said this uncircumcised philistine when the men of israel said surely he has come up to defy israel david said the man who kills this philistine and takes away the reproach from the reproach from israel david saw things from the lord's perspective and the men of israel saw things only from man's perspective. This makes perfect sense though, for even in David being chosen to be king, it was not based upon who was the best from a human perspective, it was only through the sovereign side of God that David David was chosen. He seemed to have a quiet confidence in who he was in God and what his relationship looked like. But this is the foundation, then everything he encountered and saw was through the lens of who he was, of not just who he was, but who God had called him to be. That is the most striking difference between Saul and David. Saul was a man of quick temper and anger. He would make decisions out of his emotions, whether they be fear, revenge, or anger. David, on the other hand, was a man who would make decisions out of his relationship with God. His deep love and his desire to be and serve God, be with and serve God. David deeply understood that relationship. And God's actions from the past are what helped him with the confidence for his faithfulness in the future. Like when Shireen shared with us, it was holding on to some hope from the past and then using that for what God had promised moving into the future. Psalm 77 we see an illustration of David's, earnest heart and soul. In the psalm, it starts out with the author crying, crying out to God, distressed, feeling abandoned, abandoned, asking the tough questions in life. Many of us can identify with his cries. Many of us have had those dark nights of the soul where God feels so, so far away everything then changes in verse 10 and 11. Psalm 77, 10 to 12. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. These are words of power. These are words that change everything. There is power in remembering and declaring the deeds of God as we proclaim what God has done in the past and therefore meditate on who he is we gain trust and confidence in how it will act in the future David knows this and so he says the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine He is declaring the truth of God. He is reminding himself of who God is and how he acted in the past. And so therefore he can have faith for the victory already, already won. So David then sets out to define the battle in his own terms. Yet again, in his terms. Yet again, David has such a definite assurance to who God is and how he acts that even as the giant stands in front of him, he can be confident in not his own strength, but in the ability of God. This became a pattern in David's life. When he rested in his strength, he is prone to, when he rested in his own strength, David was prone to messing up. But when he rested in God, he overcame. The rest is as we know as history. In his first attempt, he had five stones. In fact, my son loves the story about David and Goliath. He's three. And, um, So I'll just start reading David and Goliath. And then he's like, Daddy, Daddy, put your hand out. I'm like, okay. And then he's like, one, two, three, four, five stones. And then he goes, (laughs) and then we know with that one stone, he had some smack in the forehead. And Goliath falls over. But then my son says, Daddy, where's the other stones? Because he just sees the one that I said, he didn't need them. He was like, that good a marksman. He was so good that he just needed that one stone to take him down. He was trained. The Philistines then, then panicked and they ran away and Israel prevailed. Too many of us fail to understand who God is because we do not look to understand our past. And of God's involvement in our lives. We fail to learn the lessons to grasp the hold of what God has been doing through us. And, to us, and so we end up in repetitive cycles where we see no growth, but instead greater frustration and delusionment, disillusionment. But for all of David's faults, and there were many, with several of those being quite severe, he always learned from his mistakes. He never forgot what God had done in his past, and he was able to trust them then into the future. So, the point of the story is not about how David defeated Goliath. It's about relationship with God. David knew who he was in God. See, giants will always appear in our lives. That's just reality. We can't really change that. And we can't choose if they're there or not. David could have gone home that day. But if the Philistines had won the battle, David would have had to confront them at some stage regardless. Yet what David could work on and pursue, what he could do, was his relationship with God. And what we can work on and pursue is our own relationships with God. So let's just turn to John fourteen eight, near closing. To John fourteen eight to eleven. Philip said to him, Lord, that I am am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. See, Jesus, fully God, fully man, reveals to us the Father. To deepen our relationship with God, we simply need to look to Christ. Jesus Christ, our representative and our substitute, who shed His blood on the cross as the perfect, all sufficient sacrifice for our sins, and whose atoning death and victorious resurrection constitute as our only grounds for salvation. Look to Jesus Christ. Pray often. Read the Bible. Remember like Shreem has when God comes through in your lives, and trust that victory has already been won for your future. That simply, my friends,
1: is the only way to be a
0: David instead of a Saul. Bless you and have a great evening.